Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week three, day four of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah 9. Welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray today? Jesus, we want to see you in your word today, and we want to know you more, not just more about you. Give us revelation in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. We're reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Pausing right there. Again, we always ask, is this new chapter, is this a continuation or is this something new? And right there, <laughs> we know that from the end of chapter 8, uh, the Lord was talking about all of the doom and gloom that uh, comes from turning your eyes away from God. There's just never-ending darkness. Right there, there is only doom and gloom, and the the thing that Isaiah that the Lord is speaking is there's doom and gloom that the world will prophesy, and there's doom and gloom that the Lord will prophesy. With the world, there's no end to the doom and gloom because the world needs you in constant uh, fear, in a constant state of paralysis because they want to be the solution. The world, the people in charge, they want to create these things and continue them so that they can always be the solution to whatever problems that are going on. That's just good marketing, right? That's how that works. But the Lord is saying, yes, there's doom and gloom for me too, but it comes to an end. My doom and gloom, my prophecies of destruction and despair, they're momentary. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to wake you up. So Isaiah is, is prophesying the words of the Lord, nevertheless, again, back verse one, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of sea beyond the Jordan. Verse two, the people walking in darkness has seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. I'm going to pause right there and go back to uh, verse 2, right? So uh, the Lord is prophesying about uh, Zebulun and Naphtali. They are the two of the northern tribes. And when Assyria comes through, they actually attack and carry these tribes off first, right? And so... The Lord is saying in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And actually, it's almost kind of like uh, he's speaking from the future about what's about in the past, although this hasn't exactly happened yet, right? When Isaiah is saying this, none of this has happened. This is a whole prophecy speaking from the future, looking back at something that's about to happen, if that makes sense. You know, this starts to get all weird, like, um, you know, back to the future timeline kind of weirdness, right? When you're trying to like picture exactly how this is going. But Isaiah is prophesying as if he's living a few hundred years in the future, speaking of the the destruction of Naphtali and, and Zebulun as it was happened in the past. But then this prophecy about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You know, we know the New Testament quotes us, this is Jesus. This is specifically speaking of Jesus. So again, in this passage, we've got these contemporary prophecies. We've got prophecies of things to come in, in the not too distant future, 100, 200 years. And then we've got things that are going to happen in several hundred years that have 
eternal implications, right? So there's just, there's so many layers to Isaiah's prophecies at time. Uh, it's, 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 it's quite remarkable. Verse four, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For us to us, uh, for t- uh, unto us, or to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We know this is Jesus. This is the the, the great hallelujah chorus. Um, this is the prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. This is the prophecy of of Jesus is going to come. And now we have all of these prophecies about the contemporary times, about the things shortly to come, the things that are going to happen, you know, maybe a few hundred years in the future from Isaiah, when Jesus comes as born of the Virgin. And now we're also talking about Jesus coming and reigning on the throne of David forever. So there is a lot going on in these chapters. All of these prophecies have been related, but there's a lot going on. There's multiple time periods and the implications of these things are very far reaching. It's not just about Assyria and Aram and Israel and Samaria and Damascus and Nineveh and Nineveh. It's about so much more. And the darkness that they're going through there is going to actually lead to a light that shines for eternity. Verse 8. The Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. All the people will know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say with pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. But the Lord has strengthened Rezin's foes against them and spurred their enemies on. Arameans from the east and Philistines from the west have devoured Israel with open mouth. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. This passage has special meaning to me. Um, I wrote a book about uh, a series of encounters that I had with the Lord before and after September 11th, 2001. And I am recording this on September 10th, 2023. This is, I guess, what, 22 years later. As Americans, as, as really anyone alive at the time remembers, but especially for Americans, this is the most dramatic thing that's happened in a generation. Uh, That day was tragic. It sticks with all of us. 
And this passage, you know, the numbers, the chapters and verses, they didn't exist in the original scripture. They were added in 1113, 1400 AD. And the Lord is so good at poetry and math and calculus and all of these things. He's able to use the human decisions of these things and somehow still weave them in to where they have prophetic significance thousands of years in the future. And on America, one of America's darkest days, September 11th, 9-11, we have this awful encounter. And then the very next day on September 12th, the Speaker of the House got up. No one knew exactly where the president, vice president were at that point. They're being shuttled all over the United States on on Air Force One and other places. And so all these top officials are being hidden away because no one knows what's going on. And so the Speaker of the House gets up in America on September 12th and gives a speech and pretty much concludes that speech by reading Isaiah 9.10, saying, looking at the buildings that have fallen down and almost like shaking our fists at the world, saying, we're going to rebuild And I'm sure this guy's speechwriter was just trying to find some inspirational quote or scripture that would fit the occasion and probably did some kind of a Google search back then and found Isaiah 9.10. It says, The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. And on September 12, 2001, that... American official got up and said, that's exactly, he quoted that, he read that, he only read Isaiah 9.10, he didn't read Isaiah 9, uh, 9 or 9.11, which would have been fitting, you would have thought. He didn't read any of that. He only read Isaiah 9.10 and said, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild, right? Our tree, our, our, our buildings were knocked down, but we're going to rebuild better. You knock down our trees, we'll plant better ones. The speechwriter, the congressman, whoever it was involved in this, didn't bother to read the context. Because what this says here, again, inhabitants of Samaria who say with arrogance, they say this with arrogance and uh, with pride and arrogance of heart, quote, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars, end quote. And the Lord says, because of that, because you have said this, because you have rejected me, this is what's going to happen. Isaiah 9, 11, but the Lord has strengthened Rezin's foes against them and has spurned their enemies on. Arameans from the east and Philistines from the west have devoured Israel with open mouth. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. Verse 13, but the people have not returned to him who struck them, nor have they sought the Lord Almighty. The Lord says, I'm the one allowing catastrophe to come on you to wake you up. These aren't the real thing. These are the alarms. 
The real thing is still yet to come. I'm trying to wake you up before the real thing. So you return to me. So I don't have to do the bad thing. I don't have to do the thing that's going to like carry you off. But you reject the warnings. You reject all of these things over and over again. And in pride and arrogance of heart, you say, all right, you, God, you knocked our stuff down. We'll rebuild it better. And at the time, they didn't understand that they're saying that to God. They're saying that to the Arameans and the Assyrians. You knocked our stuff down. We'll, re- we'll show you. We'll shake our fists at the world. We'll show you. We'll rebuild it better. Not understanding that it's the Lord that sent those nations to wake them up in the first place. In the same way, the Lord would bring things against the United States, bring things against other nations. And it's our opportunity to humble ourselves and repent before the Lord. But How often do we shake our fist at the perceived aggressors against us and say, we'll show you, we'll rebuild better. Not understanding that it's actually the Lord sending them to wake us up. Verse 13, the people have not returned who struck them, nor have they sought the Lord Almighty. So the Lord will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. The elders and dignitaries of the head, the prophets who teach lies of the tail, those who guide this people mislead them, and those who are guided are led astray. Therefore, the Lord will take no pleasure in the young men, nor will he pity the Pity the fatherless and widows, for everyone is ungodly and wicked. Every mouth speaks folly. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. So even in the midst of the Lord increasing the pressure, increasing the pressure, it's like Isaiah said at the beginning here, or at the end of chapter 8, instead of turning to the Lord in the midst of the darkness, they shake their fists at God. They double down on their wickedness. Verse 18, Surely wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It sets the forest thickets ablaze so that it rolls upward in a column of smoke. By the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched and the people will be fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. On the right, they will devour, but still be hungry. On the left, they will eat, but not be satisfied. Each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim and Ephraim on Manasseh. Together they will turn against Judah. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. Over and over and over again, the Lord is trying to get their attention. Instead of repenting and returning to the Lord, they double down on their sin. They double down on their rebellion against the Lord. And not only that, they go to war against the Lord. So in this case, Judah is representative of Jerusalem where the the temple is. Not only are they doubling down on their sin, they're actually going to war. They have declared war on the Lord's holy temple. Against their own people, the nation of Israel has declared war on their own people, their own flesh and blood, their own countrymen and their own temple that they've rejected. They've declared war on it. This is nothing unique to the United States in this time period. The numbers 
the chapters and verses of this prophecy are eerie and how they played out in our history. One thing is certain is that we have fallen into the same trap of the northern tribes of Israel. We've rejected the Lord. We've turned our backs on him. And when he sends the warning shots through these foreign people, instead of recognizing the Lord trying to get our attention and humbling ourselves and repenting, we double down on sin and wickedness. We double down on all of these things and we shake our fists at God. I want you and I to be a people that see these things and we humble ourselves. I want you and I to be the people that the Lord can use to bring about the light at the end of the darkness. The light at the end of the tunnel, it's always Jesus but he also always partners with people. He uses people to be a part of bringing that light. I want you and I to be that light at the end of the tunnel. We will humble ourselves and repent, even if the culture around us does not. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.